Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hello again, all my plant friends. Welcome to Plow and Hose, and thank you for joining me here in my backyard. We have had just another scorching hot day, but duh, it's almost July here in Central Texas, so no big surprise that it's hot. If it wasn't hot, then we might all be freaking out because there would be something really, really wrong if it wasn't hot. Anyway, in spite of the toasty temperatures, my vegetable garden is looking pretty good. Peppers, the okra, and the sweet potatoes are starting to look really happy. They are really taking off. They love this summer heat. I was out in the garden this morning, and I just felt so happy and content and, and just overall pleased my garden is my makes me so happy to be out there but uh, today I was just like really wandering around my yard and moving the hose around and noticing all the plants that are blooming right now and seeing how lush and green things are right now you know I was uh, admiring I have peaches that are ripening on my trees and then of course just going and looking at the vegetables in the beds and I I was just overcome by how wonderful um, it felt. I mean, of course, I do have like plenty of weeds and overgrown this and out of control that, but it all makes me happy, even even the mess. And I realized that my garden is a pretty good reflection on my life. I mean, some of it is intentional and organized and well cultivated. But then the rest of it, I look around and it's wild and chaotic and it's not exactly what I thought it would be or what I want it to be. But overall, in the big scheme of things, it's filled with unexpected beauty and lots of surprises. I don't know, maybe I'm a little lame or a little silly, but one of my favorite things in the whole wide world are finding garden surprises and the good kind. I'm not too crazy about finding snakes or bugs that have totally eaten up some of my plants, but I really, really like the good kind of surprises in the garden. Like, you know, lifting up a leaf and then finding just the most perfect ruby red ripe strawberry that I didn't know it was there. Those are kind of the good surprises that I like to find in my garden and I found a few today. So I have three sets of cucumbers planted um, in my garden this year and the oldest plants are starting to look uh, a bit on the heat stress side They've been really productive plants and 
they are just starting to look tired and worn out. And I can relate. Uh, they probably look just like I do. But um, <laughs> these plants um, are starting to get wilty leaves and limp vines. Um, but when I was out there, I was kind of evaluating things and trying to decide what could come out soon. And as I was looking at these older cucumber plants, I discovered there are just a few more little baby cucumbers that are um, coming on the vine. So I was really happy to see that because cucumbers are really popular around my house. It's truly the only vegetable that I can serve and no one complains about it. And it's also good because I have one child who gets pretty much his only vegetable nutrition from cucumbers. Cucumbers and ketchup. Spaghetti sauce. So <laughs> anyway, we're, uh, he'll, he'll get there. He'll get around to really enjoying other, other foods from the garden. But um, other things around my garden, I finally, finally have some big green tomatoes coming on. And I've been able to pick just tons and tons of bright red cherry tomatoes. I really do have a whole bunch of cherry tomatoes and they're absolutely all over the place. They're in my garden, they're on my counters. There's some that I forgot about. I set them on um, another little, um, little end table and I need to remember to move those into the kitchen. But I can't help it. I try to leave them on the vine for as long as I can, but I get anxious and I want to get them picked before the birds or the bugs get after them. So I will just go ahead, as soon as I start turning red, I'll go ahead and pick them. Tomatoes are able to continue ripening after you pick them thanks to a naturally occurring plant hormone called ethylene. Tomatoes and other foods like bananas and apples also give off ethylene gas. So even after they are picked, it's safe to go ahead and pick tomatoes right when they start to get a little hint of blush, just when they're just barely turning red. You can go ahead and pick them. You can also pick them when they're completely green. It will just take a little bit longer for them to ripen. Big commercial farms that grow um, the majority of our produce, um, they grow tomatoes and then bananas. They will pick them when fruits are mature size but still completely green, hard and green. And that's because they transport better when they are green. But because they aren't fully ripe when they are picked, grocery store tomatoes and grocery store bananas probably aren't as flavorful as if they were allowed to ripen on the plants in the sunshine. Now to me, I think that it's just really fascinating. I used to work in supply chain management and um, it's really fascinating the efforts that are made to bring us commercially grown produce from really all over the world. And it's incredible to follow the supply chain from the farm to the store. And for unripe produce, um, growers and transporters can mimic nature in order for us to have yellow bananas and red tomatoes at the grocery store. 
And they're able to do this by manipulating temperatures to slow down the natural release of ethylene that the fruits give off. But then as they get closer and closer to the store, to the shelf, then they are able to introduce extra ethylene gas to, ri to speed up the ripening so that they are perfect when they get to the store to us. And I, just, I think that's just really amazing and how lucky we are to be able to go to the store and have beautiful, ripe, fresh produce when we get there. If the big farms and grocery stores can get tomatoes to turn from green to red, you can too. So if you have issues with bugs or birds in your backyard, just mess them with your tomatoes. You can definitely pick them when they aren't fully ripe and just bring them inside where hopefully you don't have any issues with bugs or birds inside. You can take your tomatoes that you just picked and place them in a paper bag or a cardboard box and just close them up so the ethylene gas can collect and help speed up ripening. The greener the tomatoes are, the longer it will take, but it really doesn't take that long, especially if you have a fairly ripe run in the bag with the greener ones. Just be sure to check them daily because there is nothing more sad than forgetting about a bag of tomatoes that you're trying to ripen and just to find a wet, moldy, soggy sack of rotten tomatoes. It's sad and it's gross. Anyway, every day um, right now, I pick a few tomatoes that are close to being ripe and I'll bring those inside. And like I said before on the show, I've got a lot of them. I've got a whole counter full of these cute little cherry tomatoes and I really need to get busy deciding what to do with them. Every summer with my tomatoes, I love to make a spicy and savory tomato jam. I usually use my bigger tomatoes for that, so I might wait um, for my tomatoes, my bigger ones, to come on to make tomato jam. I love tomato jam. I like to use it in place of ketchup. But I also have a new favorite recipe that I, I discovered about this time last year. Roasted and marinated tomatoes. I had pizza one time that had marinated tomatoes on it and they were just so delicious. They were kind of similar in flavor to sun-dried tomatoes, but they were soft like a regular canned tomato and, and they weren't um, chewy or sticky at all like um, sun-dried tomatoes are. So I sat down at the computer and I started looking for a recipe. And I found lots and lots and lots of recipes for marinated tomatoes out on the internet, but they didn't sound at all like what I was wanting. They were mostly fresh sliced tomatoes with some sort of dressing on, the, on it and then served as a salad. 
and that was not what I wanted at all. So it finally occurred to me to look for a cooked tomato recipe, and that was it. That did the trick, and that's how I found roasted marinated tomatoes. When I put that in the search, then I was able to find a lot more recipes of what I wanted, and I went and decided on a recipe that used herbs de Provence, which is a French herbal seasoning blend. It's really, really similar to Italian seasonings. Italian seasonings contains a lot of basil, whereas herbs de Provence, um, it may, depending on what blend you find, it may or may not have basil in it, but it al almost always contains lavender buds. Herbs de Provence has, you know, those lavender buds just give it this really lovely floral essence. It's subtle, but it's really, really lovely and, and fragrant and pretty. And I know I've mentioned it on the show before, but I absolutely adore lavender. I love the plant. I love the flowers. I love the way it smells. I love the way it tastes. So I was totally sold on this recipe and my mouth is watering right now just talking about this recipe. When you think about marinades, they always have some sort of acid like vinegar or lemon or lime juice. Marinated tomatoes, those recipes don't have vinegar or citrus juice because they can depend on the natural acidity of the fresh tomatoes. So you don't need any extra um, acidic ingredient. Roasted marinated tomatoes are super easy to put together. Just mince some fresh garlic, toss in some olive oil, use those herbs de Provence, fresh ground pepper, you know, a sprinkle of salt, and then your sliced or quartered tomatoes. If you don't have Herbs de Provence, that's fine. Just use Italian seasonings. I have a hard time remembering to look for Herbs de Provence, and I'm not even sure a lot of places around here carry it, but that's fine. Just use Italian seasonings. That's, that's what I do, but I also add some dried lavender buds to the spice blend. It, it's just a really, really delicious and nice touch. So all you need to do is mix up those things, coat your tomatoes with all those herbs and spices and the oil, and then put them in the oven at like oh, 350 degrees or so, and then start checking on them after about 20 minutes. Let them get nice and wrinkly and start to caramelize where they start turning a little bit brown. Once you see that happening, you can pull them out and just let them cool on top of your stove. You know, go ahead and enjoy a few while they're warm, but then put the rest of them when they cool down, put them in a jar and then put them in the refrigerator. They will keep really well in the refrigerator for a week or so, a few, but you really won't want to because they are just so delicious. You can have them with pasta, you know, spread some French bread with some goat cheese or cream cheese, put it, um, and then put some of those 
roasted marinated tomatoes on those or some crackers and brie with roasted marinated tomatoes and oh you can put them on pizza you can put them in a sandwich but you know once they're all gone and you have nothing left but the oil and the juices in your jar save that because you can use that as a salad dressing or you know if you have some other vegetables that you you know some squash that you sauteed just pour some of that um, juice on top of it it's so good it's all really really good Tomatoes are naturally high in glutamic acid, which is also known as MSG. If you ever find yourself craving something savory with tomatoes in it, or you, you find yourself that you can't just stop eating chips and salsa, that's that glutamic acid, the MSG, that your brain makes you want to continue to eat it. And the riper the tomato, the more glutamic acid is in your tomatoes so tomato sauces ketchup roasted marinated tomatoes are all so good and just a little bit addictive so if you're going to have msg you might as well have the natural kind and tomatoes are way better for you than cheetos <laughs> okay as we ease into July, there is not a whole lot that we can be planting from seed right now. The temperatures are just too hot for most seedlings without a whole, whole lot of intervention. They're gonna struggle. And it's not, it's not just the intense sun that is hard on the seedlings, but it's also the higher overnight temperatures that inhibit growth. While you and I love it when the sun goes down and it kind of cools down to like 75 degrees, it's really still too warm for some plants and they can't grow vigorously enough unless they have some cooler temperatures at night. When the daytime temperatures consistently are above 90 degrees, even more plants like tomatoes will just stop blooming and they won't be productive during the hot, hot part of the summer. But luckily for us, there are still a few things that can be planted from seed. Those are the warm season greens, okra, southern peas, and pumpkins. Those all can be planted um, from seeds. Of course, they'll, they'll need mulch and water and compost but they will do just fine in the next couple of months because they are heat loving plants and they can take our extended daytime heat and warm nights. It's gonna be August soon, uh, really before we even know, before we know, August is just gonna sneak up on us. And even though the days in August will still be hot, the nighttime temperatures will gradually start to lower and then by September, the temperatures are really going to be slightly cooler enough for us to take advantage of another planting window when it opens up. Right at the very beginning of August, we get another chance to plant one more round of our summer favorites like beans and corn, cucumbers, squash, okra, peppers, tomatoes, all of those. 
So if you want to be able to harvest all through the fall, you'll need to plant a fall garden. And early August is when you want to plant in your garden. But that means you gotta be thinking about it now. You've got to plan now for what you want in your fall garden. Some plants like beans and corn prefer to be directly sown in the ground where they live their entire lives. Once they put on roots, they don't like to be disturbed. So I don't recommend trying to transplant those. Those will be fine just directly planted in the ground. Other plants like tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, and squash, they don't mind being transplanted or moved around. Transplants are your best bet for a successful fall garden. So start some plants, either from cuttings or seeds, but do it indoors where it's cooler inside. Once you get those started, you and they start growing and stuff, then you'll be ready to capture that final summer vegetable planting window, which is gonna come in early August. I highly recommend all of those plants that you start them indoors because transplants will give you a leg up on your fall garden because they've had a chance to start their root systems and develop leaves before being placed in the harsh outdoors. Healthy plants depend on a healthy root system. When plants are thriving above ground, you can feel confident you have a nice healthy root system. A healthy root system is really important to keeping the top parts of your plant alive. When they get stressed from the weather conditions or disease or insect damage, a healthy plant with a healthy root system is going to be more likely to recover. You are listening to Fly on Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you're enjoying my show, I hope you'll go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn about all the great shows and the music coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. You know, while you're out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plow and Hose Facebook page and like and share it with your gardening friends. Or, you know, head over to wherever you get your podcasts and then subscribe and download the Plow and Hose podcast. If you like the ability of being able to play and pause or rewind my show whenever you want, download some episodes and leave me a review. Just a, a super quick click on some stars, type up a little sentence or two about what you like the show and submit it. It's not hard at all. And it's really, really helpful because it's going to help others find the show. And, of course, downloading Plow and Hose episodes gives me some show statistics. Also, real quick, if you live in the Taylor area, if you live in Central Texas, check out the Taylor, Texas Backyard Gardeners Facebook group. We are a nice little group made up of local folks who love all types of plants. If you are interested in growing things in Central Texas, it's 
a nice place to meet folks and find out what is going on in their backyards. I am just always amazed by the wonderful gardens and the creative solutions that people have come up with. And, and these are our neighbors. It's, uh, it's such a, a nice, diverse group. And we have everybody from new beginner gardeners to full-on certified master gardeners. And everybody is just so friendly and want to help you be successful and also to show off our gardens. All right, so since I had mentioned starting seeds now so that we can transplant them in early August for the fall garden, I wanted to mention that I do go into a whole lot of detail on starting seeds indoors on the Plow and Hose podcast. It's the January 10th show. It's like episode number two. And even though it's from January, I give all kinds of information on starting seeds indoors. Now, starting seeds inside during the winter is a little bit different than starting them now in the summertime. Wintertime tends to be much less humid inside because of our heating systems. In the winter, it's mm, a lot more important to maintain a consistently humid microclimate around your seedlings because the air is drier. In the summer, the inside air isn't quite as dry, but you still will want to assess your growing conditions inside. So that nice sunny spot that you had inside, that was just absolutely perfect for starting seeds in the winter and early spring. It might get just a little too hot and intense for seedlings in the summertime. You know, if it, if this, if this was your sunny window that you set up your plants, um, it could just be a little too hot. So just be mindful of the location. Of course, you can just always move your tray of seedlings um, somewhere else. For me, my fall gardening uh, seed starting projects, I start most of them out on my patio because it gets morning sun and then as the day really, really heats up, um, the covered patio is, is shady, but it's still warm um, out here. And that's just wor what works best for me. So find, try some things out and find a place that works for you. Larger seeds with thick seed coats like corn, beans, squash, those are going to benefit from soaking overnight before planting them. Seeds also like moist, lightweight soil. You can use a seed starting mix because it's really lightweight and it does not compact very easily. So even the tiniest seeds can germinate and they're going to pop through the soil really easily. Seed starting mix, um, it's kind of pricey for the size bag that you get. Um, and also because it's lightweight, it's really messy to work with. At least I think so. It's very dry and tends to be kind of staticky and it just gets everywhere. 
But, you know, it's not January. You can just go outside and work on your uh, seed starting project outside. You don't have to buy the fancy seed starting mix if you don't want to. You can use any basic bag soil mix that you have. Potting mix for containers works um, just fine for starting seeds. And actually the plainer the product, the better. So just basic potting mix, you know, no added fertilizer, no moisture absorbing polymers, just something lightweight. And it doesn't have a whole bunch of chunks in it. It'll work great for starting seeds. The goal is to start your seeds, to get them to germinate, and then grow into um, seedlings that you can transplant. And believe it or not, extra fertilizer is not necessarily or even good for newborn baby seedlings. It's just too rich and too strong. So bland, boring, basic potting soil will work just fine. Save the fertilizer for after you get your first set of true leaves. Another thing that you can use uh, is if you have an established garden with some nicely amended soil, you can use a couple scoops of that. Just pick out the big chunks. Just go out to your raised bed, dig out a bit of soil, and you can use that for your seed starting project. When you're ready to plant, the first thing that you'll want to do is get your planting mix wet. So grab a bucket, pour some planting mix into it, and then start slowly dribbling water and incorporating the soil. Just add a little bit more, just a splash here, and then mix it up again and keep doing that. And adding small amounts of water until the soil is moist. Not soggy, not soupy, just more like a damp sponge. And then once you have that consistency, fill your pots or your planting cups with the soil and then you're ready to plant your seeds. Now, generally speaking, the larger the seed, the deeper it needs to be planted. And the smaller the seed, the less deep it needs to be planted. Most seeds don't really wanna be planted more than an inch deep, but just read the seed packet or look it up on the internet. Seeds are happiest when the temperatures are about 70, 75 degrees. They're going to want eight hours of light to germinate. But once they pop through that soil, you've got to be sure to keep the soil moist so they don't dry out. Drying out is the worst thing for your seedlings and it's going to cause them to die. So keep your soil moist. And you're probably going to want to check on them twice a day if you have them outside. And if you have them outside, make sure that they have afternoon shade. Well, if you are going to be starting some veggies from seeds for planting in your fall garden, why don't you take the opportunity to go ahead and start some native perennials like black-eyed Susans or purple cone flowers. Perennial flowers are those that die back when it gets too cold in the winter, but return every spring when it warms up. Each year when they do return, they spread just a little bit more and you have even more beautiful flowers. 
fall is a really, really good time to plant perennials because once they get, once we get through the worst of the summer heat, these new plants, when you put them in the ground, they're going to have time to get their roots established before they go dormant in the winter. But when they do come back, they're going to be a little bit bigger than they were when you put them in the ground in the fall. Purple comb flowers are one of my favorite Texas native plants. I love that beautiful orchid color that they have on their purple petals. And they have a really pretty rusty orange kind of domed center that's really kind of prickly looking. The botanical name for purple cone flowers is echinacea, and that means spiny. So kind of makes sense how it got that, that name. I'm not sure about the cone flower part. I'm just going to guess because if you look at the plant from the side, the center does kind of resemble a small pine cone. So maybe that's where the name came from. Echinacea is important in herbal medicine and is purported to strengthen the immune system. All parts of purple cone flower are edible and the flowers are used for medicinal tea, but it's the roots that are really valued by herbalists for their medicinal properties. Echinacea tincture is made by soaking the roots in alcohol and that by doing this, it extracts like this complex mix of active ingredients that are antiviral and they also have antibiotic properties and it makes echinacea super popular with herbalists. Purple cone flowers are also really popular with butterflies, bees, and hummingbirds. So if you're wanting to attract more pollinators to your garden, then be sure to add purple cone flowers to your garden. I love these plants. I think they're really attractive and they're really quite striking when you see a whole bunch of them planted all together in mass. Once they get established in your garden, you're going to have peppercorn flower blossoms for at least two months. And if the conditions are right, they'll rebloom in the fall and you'll have some more peppercorn flowers. Being a native Texas plant, cone flowers are tough little plants and they really tolerate the dry, hot summers that we have here in Central Texas. Since it's a common prairie and meadow wildflower, it does really, really well around here. You know, here in our part of Central Texas, we have that gorgeous blackland prairie. Now, just like most plants, Coneflowers benefit from a little extra compost, some mulch, and regular watering to get it them through the summer. But it's still going to bloom, even if it gets somewhat neglected. So I love that plant. Okay, it is time for me to wrap up the show now. But before I do, I just want to take a minute to thank y'all for listening to Plow and Hose. This episode marks the one-year anniversary since I started this show on KBSR and has just been a wonderful, enriching experience for me. I have never been one 
to enjoy hearing my own voice. I mean, I was the type of person that I would, back when we had answering machines, I would have to like record my message over and over and over until I thought it sounded halfway sane and decent. So I really don't like listening to my voice. At least I didn't. And in the beginning, when I was recording this show, I was really, really self-conscious about recording and I could not stand to, to listen to it. But people have just been so kind and so encouraging and I have grown so much more confident about talking into this microphone. I don't even mind hearing myself talk anymore. But all of that aside, the very best part of doing this show has been getting to talk about plants and gardening, but most importantly, connecting with other plant people. So thank you all so so very much. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.